Steve spoke last week about how important it is for us to be one and to be united as a body. And he spoke from the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays, Father, I pray that those who follow me will be one just as you and I are one. And Steve asked the question, do you think Jesus' prayer got answered? Because surely if anyone has enough faith when they pray a prayer, it's going to be Jesus. And we have to say, don't we, that when we look around and when we look at the world and when we look at even our church, we have to say it's partly answered. Because yes, partly we're really united and um, yet we can't actually say that we are as one as Jesus and the Father are one. So it's got to be in that category of the now and the not yet that we talk about a lot, where the kingdom of God has broken in and it's here because Jesus has come, and yet it's not here in all its fullness yet, and we're still crying out and we're still living towards that um, prayer of Jesus where he said, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and we're waiting for God's future to invade the present So it's something that we really want, but it's also something that we have to be really intentional about because to be united doesn't actually come terribly naturally. You know, there are things that divide us. We have strong opinions. Uh, We have things that annoy us about each other. And so um, it's the thing that Satan will try and his hardest to divide us and to come between us. So it's really encouraging to know that Jesus is our high priest. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, Who is to condemn? It's Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So there we know that Jesus is praying for us. He's still praying for us. He didn't just pray that prayer in John 17, um, just before he went to the cross, but he continually, continually prays for us. And one of the things that came at the end of that John 17 prayer that Jesus said was that he prayed that the love that the Father had shown him would be in his followers as well. So he combines the idea of love and unity And this morning, I want us to think about um, what it is to be a love community. And if you speak any languages, if you speak Portuguese, you will know that the word com means with. So I'm going to do that Steve thing where he does word play and say that if you have love, com, unity, then you have a love community. Love with unity equals a love community. Um, I didn't speak that language that James spoke earlier, but um, I do know some words of languages. What was it? Foxtrot something something. (laughs) Um, So let's think about being a love community, which is in Christ, centred around, with Jesus at the centre, all of us gathering around Jesus at the centre, but it's also for each other. We're here for and in each other, and we're here for the world. There's been a lot of talk uh, in the press in the last couple of weeks about love and kindness and what they mean and what they don't mean, and I don't want to criticise any of that or make comments on it because some really sad things have happened 
But we do live in a world that wants love and wants to know what real love looks like. And because we are a church and we're gathered around Jesus, we're going to look at some words in Scripture. We're going to look at some words in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, and think about how we as a community um, match up to these words. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. (coughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not, overcome, not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when I look around at you guys, I am very proud to be part of this community because I have to say that I see you doing these things, these good things, so often. We are a community that strives to be living in this way, and we have got those fruits of love and unity. Um, But equally, we also know that we have to strive to be even more so and to go for even more of what they're encouraging us to do. Thinking about these words, this letter to the Romans uh, was written 20 years or so after Jesus' death. And Paul the Apostle writes a number of letters to the churches that he helps to plant and some of the churches that he hasn't actually been to yet. And Romans was one of those churches. The idea of unity is really big on his agenda, Um, and we'll look at some of the reasons for that in a moment. Uh, The gospel's been embraced by thousands of people, and we need to look at the book of Acts to look a bit at the history of how the gospel spread through the Middle East and into Europe and all around the Roman Empire. Often whole households would respond to Peter or Paul or other evangelists' message and they would experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders. Within those households, many of them were people of all kinds of social standing. Um, Recent studies have suggested that 40% of the people that lived in Rome were slaves. And um, some of them would have been slaves that had been set free, but a lot of them would have been slaves captured from war. Um, So there was a massive social um, inequality going on within society. 
It was also a patriarchal society, so women could have influence in that society, but only if they were under the umbrella of a man. And history often tells us stories of how mothers and wives manipulated relationships in order to gain power. Fathers could decide on a whim to punish their children or wives or even to kill them because the law gave them undisputed rights as head of the family. And also, um, punishment for the rich was really different than punishment for the poor. If you were a senator, for example, and you did the same crime that a slave had done, uh, if you were a senator, you might be fined or you might be exiled for a, a short period of time. But if you were a slave, you might have part of your body cut off or you might be sent into the amphitheatres to fight with the beasts for the entertainment of the upper classes. Um, and the assumption was that if you're rich, your body belonged to you. And if you were poor, it doesn't, it didn't. So you can see there's lots of reasons why Paul wanted to write to the churches to talk about love and unity. And as well as the social inequality, there was the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And at that time, Jews and Gentiles kind of covered the whole world, because if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So God loving the whole world, in biblical New Testament language, God loves the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, the first disciples were mainly Jews, and then more and more the gospel was received by the Gentiles, which meant that, as I said, um, the, the church was expanding to include people that it didn't include before. And the Jewish community in Rome, where Christianity started, looked a lot different than it had 20 years before when Jesus had died and risen again. It had grown and the Jewish um, communities looked very different. Many of the synagogues was where they met and the followers of Jesus um, who understood that the Messiah was Jesus and they understood their, their Jewish religion in that way. Um, you may remember how the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee himself, had initially persecuted the followers of Jesus because they were spoiling things for the Jewish community. Um, but after he'd persecuted many people and had some stoned, Paul had an experience of meeting Jesus on what we're told that it was the Damascus Road. And it could have been a vision or Jesus appearing to him after he died and gone to heaven. We don't know exactly but we know that um, people saw a bright light and heard a voice from heaven which said, why are you persecuting me? Paul went back. He, he, went, he was blind for a while. He got prayed for and, and his, his sight came back. So this amazing experience of meeting Jesus was what totally reinterpreted his whole worldview. And what he did was he went away and studied the scriptures that he knew already. He knew these scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew all the prophecies about the Messiah coming. But it was only after he'd met Jesus on that road that he realized that Jesus was the one. And he then reinterpreted uh, the whole of that story that he understood before into the light of his gospel that he wrote to the churches about. One of the things that was really important that happened in that process 
was that he became the person who decided who was in and out, who were the insiders and who were the outsiders. Um, He changed from that to being the person who said to them, don't judge. Don't you be the ones to decide who should be in and who should be out, because God is the judge. And that bit where we we read earlier, it says, vengeance is mine, um, says the Lord, that that was the point of that. It wasn't that it's saying, you know, God is waiting to punish people. But what it's saying is, don't let us judge who can be in and who can be out. Because we have to allow for the fact that actually God sees people's hearts and he will um, ultimately judge people for what they, who they are and what they've done. So instead, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, give him water to drink, welcome the stranger. Um, And in this culture, it wouldn't have been a food bank. It would have been cook them a meal and sit and eat it with them. Um, Think about Jesus and his, um, what was Jesus' reputation? It was that he was the friend of sinners. And the reason for that was that he ate and drank with sinners. Um, And what Paul was finding in the churches was that many were refusing to eat with each other. And that was kind of like the ultimate um, rudeness because it was actually saying you're not on the in, you're not in the in crowd you don't belong to us so I'm not going to actually sit at the table and eat with you and one of the reasons for that was that the dietary laws that the Jews had which were very strict which were in the Old Testament um, they were saying that the Gentile people who became Jesus followers had to follow these dietary laws <coughs> And not only that, they had to keep the Sabbath, and not only that, uh, but they had to be circumcised. And Paul and some of the other leaders in the, in the New Testament churches were saying, no, um, the Gentiles who come to follow Jesus don't need to go through those Jewish initiation rites uh, because they have come into the good news. They've become part of God's people through Jesus and not through being Jewish. Um, just to kind of give it a little bit of context, if I stood up here and said, uh, we have baptisms, um, if, if, if I stood up here, instead of saying, we have baptisms on March the 8th, so please, you know, come and chat to me and we can talk about... Um, doing some, some uh, looking at the scriptures for that and going through what it would mean um, and encouraging you to be baptised. If instead of that, I stood up here and said, okay, so any of you guys who haven't been circumcised, uh, you need to make an appointment and you can come and speak to uh, myself and Andy or James, or, or actually maybe, no, I won't be part of that conversation. Um, you know, come and speak to Steve and Andy or James and, you know, we, they can talk you through it and then, and then we can arrange a time, you know. And also... Um, you know, no sausages on your barbecues, guys, because no pork. And um, yeah, so basically they were putting things on to the gospel. And Paul was saying, no, that's not the gospel. You're adding things to the gospel. Those things in themselves aren't wrong because they're part of who your, what your culture is, but you can't put that onto the new converts. So there are all kinds of um, things going on within the churches that were making people, um, causing disharmony and making people argue and disagree. 
And Paul basically, um, through his teaching and through his encouragement to them, he was saying, look, we have the Holy Spirit now. And we've got to be discerning. We've got to be loving. We've got to welcome the stranger. We've got to give room for, uh, for, for grey, really. Um, and he, he says as well later on, he says, some people's conscience allow them to do certain things and other people's conscience allow them to do others. And we need to allow for that within our communities as well. And not to make people feel bad because they do things a certain way, um, but to actually love them and respect them and honour them as well. And so that's, I think that's really relevant for us because there are many things that some of us you know, feel really, really strongly about and maybe others don't. And there are some things which are really key, um, but together as a community, uh, we, we do work those out. I'm not saying here everything's okay, um, but I'm saying it's the, the process by which we decide and the process by which we judge is got to be led by the Holy Spirit and by love and by that prayer for unity. So those three, three things again, we want to be a love community that is Jesus-centered, it's about those people who are in Christ, um, and it's about people who therefore live in and for each other as well, and then for the world. Those passages that we read come uh, in the second half of the letter of Romans, and in the first half of the letter, Paul is explaining what it means to be in Christ. He explains about how Jesus came to earth and in his death, Jesus overcame all the powers of sin and death so that humanity could be rescued from its grip. He describes how baptism is a picture of what happens to someone who becomes a follower of Jesus. They go down into the waters and the waters are symbolic of the grave and when they're down in that water, which doesn't last very long, by the way, they are fully identifying with Jesus' death. And they're actually saying that in going under that water, they have chosen to die to their old selves with Jesus. And then as they come out of the water, they rise to a new life. They are part of a new creation, the one that started when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And having come out of the domain of sin in Adam, Paul describes it, they have come into a completely new domain, which is called in Christ. So that's the description of um, what Paul's talking about when he's saying that we are an in Christ community. And that's the context of how we understand Jesus as love. And that's what we have in common, isn't it? I mean, we don't have the fact that we're all tennis players or that we all play rugby um, you know perhaps if I wasn't senior pastor as well as Steve he might say you all had to play rugby or certainly he might or he might say you all had to watch it but um, that's not what we have in common is it even although some of us do have some of these things in common as well but the thing we have in common is Jesus and Jesus is the center of everything and every everything that we are. So we thought about some of the challenges that the Roman believers had to put into practice in order to be united and a loving community. And just want to, I just want us to think about some of the, the challenges that we had. 
Because in some ways, being the in Christ bit is the easy bit because we can come every Sunday and we can do amazing worship and that really helps us to kind of recenter our lives. It helps us to realize how amazing God is. We experience his Holy Spirit. And then we could go off and actually not make that not make a lot of difference to all of us and we might never see each other for the rest of the week. But as a, a, a rapidly growing church, we need to think about how can we be this community that is there for each other as well? How do we know each other, let alone love each other? Um, and then how do we know each other's needs without dishonoring each other and shaming people? Because we don't want to go around talking about needy people, do we? Um, and then even if we do, how do we have the time amongst our busy lives to actually help people? Um, sometimes it's difficult to look after our own family well enough, never mind our wider church family. And all of us have these challenges. We really do. Um, and at, at various times in our lives as well, there are seasons that we go through, aren't there, where some things pull us more than others and we have to devote our time to one particular thing. And that is absolutely fine. But it's a real, really good thing if we... <coughs> can communicate that to, to our friends and the people who are supporting us in our, um, in our Jesus life. Um, as a leadership team, we try really hard to think about these questions all the time. And when we meet together and when we're um, working, we, we're, we're thinking about what should go into vineyard life. Um, what should, uh, what kind of groups should be available to people, and um, Andy and Valerie and the other leadership guys, the people, the pastoral support people, they're always thinking of how can we serve better in making a structure that will make this into that loving community, because at the end of the day, it's about who's in it. Um, but the structures can actually help us to, um, to enable that love to flow between us. We need to have communication. We need to hear from you guys if there are things particularly that you feel that we're needing. We're very aware that we uh, haven't put on a lot of some of the, the more um, pastoral courses. We've got a, per, a a parenting course going on at the moment which people are really benefiting from which Liz has been doing uh, we intend to put on a marriage course in the next season uh, we have a lot of connect groups that cover a lot of issues and some of you may have gifts and abilities um, and things that you can bring to that mix um, and it is all about what everybody brings it talks in Ephesians about the church being made up of that which every joint supplies and each of us uh, is part of the joints of the body. Um, something that you may not think about as being helpful in this mission is our church database which is called Church Suite and I think what happens is when you fill in the connection card, you go on that database and we have certain information about you. What we've realised as we've got bigger as a church is that we have very few photos and photos would be really, really useful in our pastoral um, 
caring about people, praying for people, being able to welcome people. Um, someone came up to me this morning and said, someone's joined my Connect group and I know their name, but I don't know what they look like, so I can't really welcome them. So I might even walk past them and ignore them because I don't know who they are. So that kind of illustrates how we can have things that are helpful, structural things that can help us in that. So we're asking in this next month to have a kind of push on some of the information that's on the database and also if you feel that you can to either put your photo on yourself or um, there will be people helping um, on a Sunday helping to do that. So we'll make sure that there are people actually around taking photos as well if you haven't got one that's appropriate that you can put up onto the database. So that's a really, really practical thing um, that we're wanting to do to help our community to be that um, love in unity community. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and before that um, we're going to think about what it represents because actually although we do it very simply and we take bread and wine and we, we know that those are symbolic of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood and as we eat and drink together um, we very much think about what it means to be that in Christ community and what Jesus has done for us and what he's going to do. Um, but part of that meal that was instituted in the Bible at the very beginning when Jesus told his disciples to do it and when the early church used to do it was actually a meal. It was a meal where they would get together and literally some of those slaves who might not have nice food um, in, in their households. They would come together and they would all eat together and they'd be equal and it wouldn't be about the social standing of, of the group. It wouldn't be about whether you were Jew or whether you were Gentile, but it would be a family, uh, God's family, getting together to eat. So we can't do that here. Sarah, I'm sure, would love to do us all a roast <laughs> to have at the end of the meeting. Um, but we symbolise it by very simply taking the two elements. Um, but we need to remember that actually it is, it is symbolic and it has become very simple. And we, as a community, can do more eating together. And I know that Sarah and Melissa, who uh, do the food brilliantly um, in our in our ministry and, and, and for who we are, have, we're often talking about how can, we, how can we eat together more? You know, so have that on your minds as well. You know, maybe invite people more to dinner. I know loads of you do it already and just that is something which really helps to bond people and to make people feel part of one another. So we are going to have the Lord's Supper um, in a minute. Just one other thing before we do... <coughs> Um, to encourage beginning of the year, thinking about what you're going to be doing for holidays. Why not think about doing something like going to New Wine in the summer where they have an amazing timetable of good speakers. There's camping. You might not like camping. You can do bed and breakfast or hotels nearby. There are groups that go from the church. Um, we'll put some of that in the weekly email. Maybe if you are going to New Wine or if you're going to the big church day out or David's tent or any of these other things that are available for people to go to, 
Um, please consider opening it up and inviting more people because it may be that some of the people in the church who don't know so many people might come with a group if they were invited. So that's again something that I really encourage people to do. So we kind of break down this idea that we only ever get together on a Sunday and going away together is awesome as is eating together. Um, So we're just going to come into the end now and we're going to have communion together. I'm going to read some verses from the beginning of Romans chapter 12. And if I could ask the worship band to come up, that would be awesome. So this is at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for God, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members And not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness.